we are back, Warping with Radio. RadioNext.tv at the Cool Guru site. We come to you every Wednesday from 11 to 11.50, introducing you to Christians who are doing good around Indianapolis based on our tagline from Titus 3, 1, 8, and 14, do good, do good, do good. Comenius Institute sponsors this particular show. At the Comenius Institute, we cross three bridges. The first bridge is in the college, where we're helping young Christian college students navigate some of the issues that they face on the college campus in a public university at IUPUI. I also have a great privilege and honor to teach there with a great group of faculty, really pleased to be able to be invested downtown at IUPUI and college. Then we cross the bridge into communities, which is actually what we're doing right now. And we've been doing this show for about four years. We have over 200 episodes. We've been talking with Christians for a long time or in and around Indianapolis, folks who are doing good. And that's the whole focal point of this particular show. One of the things that we are really concerned with is bridging culture. So we're constantly looking for folks who are interested in engaging us in ways that uh, help us to broaden our sights, uh, not only about ethnicity and linguistics, but nationality as well. And uh, always happy to have uh, guests from Indianapolis, Christians who are doing good. And the third bridge that we cross is into culture. We do this in lots of different ways. I'm constantly writing, speaking, teaching on lots of issues. Uh, but you can go to our websites, warpandwoof.org, that's W-A-R-P-A-N-D-W-O-O-F.org, and see all of the essays and podcasts and sermons and truth and twos that are there. There's probably about a thousand entries uh, that you can find there. Also, the Cominius Institute, that's cominiusinstitute.org or .com, and you can find an awful lot of resources there uh, that will help you understand culture a little bit better from a Christian point of view. Actually, this particular week, we did a truth and two on the molecule oxytocin. The reason why you actually love your kids is based on the chemistry in your brain. So you can go check that stuff out. It was really a lot of fun putting that thing together. A great, great uh, thanks to Josh Collingwood, who always puts this together for us. Polly Riddell, behind the scenes, also helping us with uh, connections around Indianapolis. And of course, my great friend, producer and twin, H.B. Bell, sitting across from us over here, taking care of things in the studio. But today, we are really happy to have somebody here from Indianapolis who is doing good, uh, David Bell from Circle City Fellows. Uh, this is a brand new organization, just started recently, and we want to give David all this time today to help explain what is going on with Circle City Fellows. It's a fantastic uh, not not for profit organization. We're looking forward to hearing all about it. So, David, thanks for being here today with us. Thank you. Thank really, you. Really happy for this time, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing all about this. But first, like we always do with all our guests, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, however you want sure. that to go. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, I am a father of three kids. I have a 16-year-old, 14-year-old, and, and nine-year-old daughter, two boys, and, and then our daughter, my wife, uh, Betsy, who's been married for over 21 years now. I'm originally from Indianapolis. I was actually born here. And then when my family, uh, when I was about two years old, my family moved to Syracuse, New York area. And we'll talk more about that and after our, our lunch and our discovery, about the two of us. Uh, so grew up in Syracuse. Um, Syracuse is a place that... Uh, I would not have expected would have uh, attachment for me just because uh, it's it's a it's a city that 
um, has been through some challenging times, but different changes in, in what they've experienced auto industry in the last few years. And yet it truly was home in a place that I loved. I uh, still attached to the Syracuse Orange and sports teams and, <laughs> yeah, go and orange, growing man. up and all that. Um, so thankful for that. And it became a place that it was a place that I expected for my family to go to as well. My, my dad's from England and missionary in China and India. My mom's from Scotland and a missionary to Malaysia. We ended up in Syracuse, New York, which is not, not necessarily the metropolitan, metropolis of the world. So anyway, uh, going on about that. So I grew up there through high school. I came back here to Indiana, go to Taylor University, did my undergrad at Taylor and loved my four years there. It was just an amazing experience um, to be in that place and space. Mm. Took a year off afterwards. I uh, did my Master of Divinity degree down at Stanford University at Beeson Divinity School. And at that point in my life, uh, I, I expected primarily to go into ministry and do ministry within the church context. My father had been a missionary and pastor, as well as then eventually doing Christian radio in Syracuse and some other places in the world. And uh, while I was at Taylor, had a sense of God's call to do ministry in the church in that way as a pastor as well, following, I guess you could say, in his footsteps. And um, so seminary was a part of that journey. Uh, had an interesting experience with a professor in uh, college. I'm sure much like you with students every once in a while have pivotal conversations. I had a pivotal conversation with a professor in seminary who said, I think you should think about teaching. I think you should think about maybe uh, going and getting your doctorate. And so Long story short, we ended up actually moving to Charlotte, North Carolina, Betsy and I, to teach in a Christian school. And part of that was because I wanted to see if teaching was something I wanted to do, and something that I would enjoy. I also went there because at that point I was feeling a draw to work with college students and engage in ministry with college students. Seniors in high school were close enough, so, so that's what so we moved to. So. I did middle school ministry through seminary and then high school ministry there, then in Charlotte. And then in 2004, I moved to Indianapolis uh, to go on staff at Grace Church, uh, based out of Noblesville. And I was the young adults pastor there, starting the college ministry, and then uh, young adult ministry as well. We, we had a, a ministry that focused for about 11 years on 18 to 25-year-olds. Uh, and so I, I set that up and say it even from a bio standpoint, because what I've realized recently even with Circle City Fellows, is I basically I have spent my ministry life primarily focused on millennials, mm -hmm. following them from junior high into high school, into college, into young adulthood, and now in, in what I lead with Circle City Fellows as the executive director, uh, being an organization for young adults 25 to 39, yeah, millennials. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, it would be interesting to see as, as we watch talk about culture, the, the cultural changes of millennials to Generation Z, what the differences are, mm -hmm. and even for myself, what some of the experience will be as we start to get young adults who are the tip of the spear of Gen Z, and yeah. sometimes called the last generation, right? Like people talking about them in different ways. Right. And are, is the whole idea of generation changing and not going to have the length of time that it did because the changes in the world are so fast and, and so anyway I'm intrigued by that and I know you are to thinking about culture as we've talked about. So 14 years then on staff at, at Grace and then in the last year and a half transitioned from there and um, on that journey to discern that this is what I'm supposed to do to start this organization service to fellows. Mm -hmm. This is a great background to you. Uh, it really helps people I think flesh out a little bit better about why you did what you did, where you've come from, all of those good things. I have to ask this one question before we get into other yeah. things, and that is how long did you teach in Christian school? Five years. 
five years. Top Bible to seniors. I ended up teaching sophomores as well, but my senior course was your your somewhat typical Christian school uh, apologetic, especially for the first two and a half to three years. Uh, the last two years or so, I went through some shifts in my own uh, thinking and approach to culture, mm -hmm. and that started to affect my, my classroom okay. experience with that. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I asked because Robin and I have committed so many years to Christian school education. Yeah. So I grew up in a Christian school first and twelfth grade. Yeah. So it's been yeah, been yeah. my background. So let's you know we can talk about this a little bit more if you'd like, but um, I know that uh, my mom in Denver's listening, and you huh. know we've had this discussion yeah. already over lunch. Yes. Uh, but the the whole issue of uh, of the WMHR radio station yes. that was on constantly at our home. Um, and my mom, you know, just lived by your father's accent, you know. Yes. <laughs> so yes. we just That's have true. to say a word about yes. that. And, yes, mom. Hey, Bob. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm thankful to know that, that that was a blessing to to your mom. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. What, what's interesting for me uh, that very much connects from that to even today is the fact that what God gave my dad when he moved to Syracuse was Jeremiah 29's vision of seeking the welfare and the prosperity of the city. Good for him. And seeing that vision being expressed through the radio station because the radio station, through radio, you cover such distance. Mm -hmm. uh, and so MHR ended up not only broadcasting around Syracuse, but Rochester and all the way up to Kingston, Ontario and other places. But his heart was particularly for Syracuse uh, because God had basically put it before him to say, this is what I'm putting before you. And so now seek this blessing through the ministry of the station. And so he was a person who looked then like, like you are doing here of reflecting on who are people that are doing good in the city, contributing to the city, his same vision of, of looking for where is that happening in the city. And, and for him, that included also looking even outside the church for where, where was the good that was happening, uh, that God's work would extend beyond the people of God at times, uh, oftentimes, um, and even then how could that be a conduit for people who hadn't maybe didn't identify as, as Christians or want to be, could see, oh, your good matches with what the church and people of God are meant to be doing. And so I have hearkened back to that legacy, I guess, would be accurate um, yeah. of his experience in Syracuse very much as I think about this work with Circle City Fellows because of how that passage plays such a central role in our organization, mm -hmm. but it was central for him mm -hmm. uh, in that time in Syracuse and the role that he played. So your your father's ethos in that sense of things, his attitude and his mindset just kind of bled into you. Yes, and and my mom's as well. I mean, they were my parents' background uh, is as I mentioned in passing British. So my my dad born and raised in England. My mom born in Malaysia but raised in Scotland. Third generation to missionaries in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. My dad went to Tibet before Mao Zedong took over uh, China and took over Tibet and China with the Red Army. Then he continued in India. I, I say that to say I grew up uh, not in any of those contexts. I grew up all stateside here, born here and raised here. Uh, but my older siblings were overseas, and the ethos, it's a good word for it, the ethos of my family was a, a global perspective that the place that you are in, where are you finding where God is working, and how are you going to join God in God's work in that place? Because God is always seeking the blessing and welfare and the prosperity of that place. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, somewhat impact at least of theology of place. And, and this is something we, you know, you and I have talked about a little bit, but uh, something I constantly uh, emphasize to people, the necessity of, a, of understanding a theology of place, uh, understanding that where you have been located, wherever that place is, is necessarily the opportunity that you've been given in this time uh, that God has given to us. I'm always mindful of that phrase that comes out of Acts 17, 26, that God has placed us, placed everybody in the time and place that they're supposed to be in. So when you think about that global impact and you see that in your parents and you've come out of that kind of background, um, how do you see that now as you work within a city, specifically within one city? Because now you have all of these different people from all these different contexts that are coming to places like Indianapolis. How do you see that global networking taking place, let's say, for instance, in the future of Circle City uh, in that, yeah, that's an interesting question. that ethos that we right, talked about? Right. Uh, admittedly, I don't know how much I thought of it tan tangibly or very uh, specifically. Certainly the hope would be that our program as we develop and as we expand it, envision around the city will obviously include those who are of backgrounds internationally in different places and and who are taking their perspective that if this is where I live this is where I want to be uh, investing myself um, in, in place here and say in that way I think it's an interesting if I can add to that thought on place please do I was reading one of the, the um, chapters for our, our program and our cohort last night was reading a chapter out of a book talking specifically about theology of place and talking about the idea of uh, the impact where we all we we as human beings even lost some sense of our of a theology of place by moving from strangers to citizenship mm -hmm. and and as citizens uh, I think citizen is a good word but it's it, the point was when you're a stranger to a land you are curious you ask questions you try to get to know it when you become the citizen, in a sense, you almost potentially take on some ownership and become more the one, potentially even, you, you can struggle with them taking the control of it. Hmm. So I wonder what that looks like for us in the theology of place of being citizens of the kingdom of God, who then are always, uh, which includes, obviously, earth and God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus prayed. But then also having a mentality that wherever we are, to keep the posture of a stranger in the sense of curiosity to learn what's, what and who is already here. So when you talk about the global impact and reference that global aspect of, of my family and my parents, what I reflect on also is that my parents took a posture of how do we get to know that place? How do we understand that place and who is there and who they are and how they live? Uh, and be aware to not impose what is, in their con in their situation at least, white European context, to say that's also Christian when it's not. Right. Uh, in the missionary movement, Allah Hudson Taylor, who was a radical because of the way he dressed and the way he changed his hair and the way he sought to understand the place of the Chinese people and embrace it, that was a very significant influence on my father. And with his perspective of going to China, my son is named Hudson uh, after mm -hmm. Hudson Taylor for, and, and for that connection point. So when you ask that question to me with CCF, there is the, the front answer of just simply, we'd love to see, obviously, an international pool developed as part of the diversity of our, our, our cohorts and our, our fellows. But also, 
how do we carry that global vision? Of when, you're, when you come from a global context, you have to be a stranger to get to know the place as well. And how can we do that well? In Indianapolis, where we are located in this place, so we're continually getting to know it, we're curious. We understand what's happening in the story of our city, what wants to happen in the story of our city as citizens of God's kingdom, which is that upside down kingdom of selflessness mm -hmm. and servanthood to the place you're in. Mm -hmm. That's the theme I would love to see. So we continue to be strangers at the same time that we're citizens. I think so. I, I hesitate to, I don't want us to think of ourselves as strangers. I, do, I personally don't, I don't carry the theology that we're going to be removed from this world and into sure. uh, heaven in the clouds type of place. I, I understand it as a new heavens and new earth being renewed out of this place. So I would, don't want to think, I don't think that as strangers in the sense of this is not our home, we're, we're, we're waiting to get out of here. But more the, the ethos of the stranger that says, let me learn. Yes, very much so. I think I wonder what that looks like for us. One of the things I've struggled with on a regular basis is actually something that we did on um, uh, Truth and Two a couple weeks ago where I, I posted something entitled American Christian. And I talked with people there about the real struggle that I have as an American Christian, being both an American and a Christian at the same time. And here I've been given these titanic freedoms and these wonderful privileges of living in this magnificent country, the most peaceful, prosperous nation in all of human history, not to sidestep problems that we sure. have. But, but still, I mean, in human history, there's no place like this. At the same time, then, I recognize the responsibility that I may yet have in the future to be persecuted. And we see some soft persecution taking place on a regular basis anyway. But I view this as this tension that I hold. Um, and I, I even think about Paul in Acts 21, you know, where he's, he's uh, just, before, <laughs> just before the whip is raised, you know, he says to the centurion, oh, by the way, I'm a citizen of Rome, you know. Uh, that whole thing really kind of, uh, kind of explodes there in, in Acts 21. So I think this is not something to be taken lightly. And, and really, to flip it over, it's something to be taken quite seriously. And the questioning that goes on, frankly, I have to say to you is, you know, I, I thank you for the, the questioning and the, the processing because the questioning leads us to the curiosity and it suggests that there's a humility invested within all of this. Yeah, hopefully so. And I think that's what come, even comes back to that tension American Christian citizen as a, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus of the kingdom. And quote unquote, stranger to America in the sense of let me continue to be curious, and that is the tension mm -hmm. that's there. That even leads to why soft or in in other places, Chinese Christians and other countries where the persecution's hard, the hard persecution is still a citizen, stranger, and, and because I'm a stranger in a sense, because even in my curiosity, that, that means my my ownership still is a citizen of the kingdom, therefore I may experience this. Yeah. And this is something, obviously, that you're uh, investing in terms of time and resources and reading uh, within the cohort itself. And that, that's something I'd really like to spend the second segment of our time yes. together on because, I, you know, we want to get into what is being, what is the process by which you're going through and all those mm -hmm. kinds of things uh, within uh, Circle City Fellows. So we're going to be taking a one-song uh, musical break, but when we come back, we're going to continue in our second segment with David Bell. And we're going to continue discussing about Circle City Fellows and the necessity of helping young uh, millennials uh, on the cusp of Generation Z, 25 to 39-year-olds, helping them to understand even better what it means to live as a Christian in the context of their vocation. 
You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. One song break. We'll be right back. So while the song plays, we're still Facebook Live. I just tell everybody that. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Um, this is uh, really, oh, thank you for those numbers and emails in the back. Excellent. Thanks for that. Um, this is really, so I have to say that uh, this is an easy conversation to have, not just because we've already had conversations, but because, you know, the fluidity of thought that goes between people kind of becomes obvious in a few moments, you know. So let's, uh, outside of anything that you want to bring forward, I really would like to think about what is the process that you're taking these, these folks through. Sure. Oh, yeah. What other ideas do you want to make sure to hit in the second section of this? And I don't want to bypass anything that you want to bring forward. Uh, I would say that because with, the, with what you just said, because of talking through the process, I think we will hit everything. Well, the way the way I describe it, and may have at lunch that day, but in certain contexts, is those concentric circles of you within God's mission through your workplace into the city. And those those aspects really enable us to touch on pretty much everything okay. who we are. So I like that <laughs> using that word processes helpful. Processes, okay, good. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm trying to move them through yeah. as young adults. Yeah, exactly. Well, you you know, you've come from a place and all of these experiences you've had in your life to, to have this great opportunity. We're gonna get a picture here uh, with the Caminius behind us. Yeah, gotcha. All right, got a good one out there. Yeah, we gotta get you, yeah, you gotta get lot. you know seriously, man. <laughs> there you go. That's it. There it is. You on Facebook, David? I am. Let me get you on Mark. Yeah, I, I sent you a friend request this morning, so yeah, you can push that out. Yeah, I will push it out. Push it out later on. Push out later, but I have our Circle City Fellows page as well. Oh, do you? Okay. I do. Yes. Good. Well, I'll make sure to when I'm coming there somehow. I can talk to the gal who does our okay. Well, when the podcast comes out later today, I'll make sure that yeah. the link goes to you and to that. Yes. Um, I'll check it out. I'm sure, I'll follow up. Follow up. Yeah, you know, and some people, and this is it's whatever anybody wants to do with Facebook or any social sure. media. Is some people are really into it constantly, and others, you know, right. just like bypass it from time to time. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, and you know, obviously, you want to be friends with who you want to be friends with. Yes. So there's that too. We actually use this um, pretty consistently, um, not just HB and I, but you know, the, the nonprofit world, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably a big, pretty big push for all of us in that sense mm-hmm. of things. HB's had his own radio show for eight years now. Yeah. Every Saturday morning for four hours. It'll be like your dad. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah. So he does. Uh, brings in guests, you know, kind of like what we're doing here, uh, different kinds of folks from around Indianapolis. My focal point is is very specific in the sense that I'm interested in getting Christians here. Um, maybe the day will come when I branch out and do something else, uh, you know, just general in the city. Sure. But I think it is important that... Two different types of shows, actually. It is really oh, two different types of shows. Yeah. So a bunch of people we need. Yeah. yeah. You know, I yeah. used to be Saul. Yeah, mm. I gotta remember that. Yeah, yeah that's that. right. <laughs> well, one of the wonders is being at IUPUI. You know, I just love it. There's an entrepreneurial, not-for-memory endeavor. 
So here's the, the segment just before we come back at again. Thanks for hanging in there with us, all of the people that are green lighting us over there. Thank you for joining us. And we're back again, Warp and Wolf Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site, every Wednesday from 11 to 11.50. In our first segment with David Bell, we kind of explored uh, David's past and his bio, and then some of the ethos that kind of uh, sets the stage for him as a nonprofit leader in Indianapolis as a Christian. In the second segment, uh, what we really would like to highlight is the process by which uh, the Circle City Fellows are being engaged uh, just generally as people, but specifically as Christians and helping them to think uh, biblically about what they do in their own vocations. Mm -hmm. So David, uh, we're talking about the process that uh, Circle City Fellows are going through. You have 12 or 13? 13 Fellows. 13 Fellows. Year, yes. So tell us, just kind of take off and take this where you want it to go. Um, tell us about the process that, that you go sure, through. Sure. Well, I would start with this understanding, uh, first and foremost, that we want to help them and bring to them of God's mission in the world. And what is, what is it that we see of what God is wanting to do in the world that overflows from the character of who God is? Mm -hmm. So you might describe it, or one of the ways that I describe it is the idea of concentric circles, that we are looking to help the fellows recognize who they are in, in, in their personhood and their uh, identity, their belonging, their purpose, within God's mission, through their workplace, mm -hmm. and then out into the city. So m moving in that way. And it, it's not, uh, it's primarily their workplace, but obviously their neighborhood, their community as well. Mm -hmm. But it begins with their story. Who are you? Uh, what's your, what's the sense of your calling in life? And do you see what you do as actual ministry? Uh, so as we were preparing to launch CCF over the last years, doing the work and the preparations to recruit our first class and uh, determine the, the, the way we would go about this program and such. One of the key ideas that came forward was just this reality of how clearly people, the people of God in the church, don't see their work as ministry. Yes. It's not just the separation of Sundays one part of my life and then six days other. It's, it's, I would even say it's a little less maybe that compartmentalization. It's more the uh, the ranking. Missionary, pastor, everybody else. Uh, that, that's, uh, ironically, we were reading a piece from John Stott uh, two weeks ago, and he just named it exactly that. Missionary, pastors, and priests, and then everybody else. And uh, there was a survey done a number of years ago that indicated about 80% of people would, would say, oh, my pastor and priest's work is way more important than mine. Well, let's pause and just think about that. That means, okay, so four out of five people acknowledge and see that their pastor and priest's work is more important than theirs. Their pastor and priest's work is very important, certainly. Uh, I served as a pastor for 14 years in various capacities in the church. But what that ends up doing to people is bringing a clear devaluing of their work. Or it turns their work into an instrumental value mm. as opposed to, to use a word, intrinsic value. Mm. So work becomes my instrument to, as a, as a Christian to share Jesus with other people, which is not bad. The workplace can be a wonderful place to talk to people about their relationship with God, to, to witness, to um, spread God's good news in that way, for sure. But if that's all you see your work as, we're missing a theology of work within God's mission. I'll just be a bobblehead doll. Yeah, that says 
this actually has value in and of itself. And so we start with their story. Who, who are you? What is God's story of God's mission? And do we understand that well of what God is wanting them to do in the world? And then moving through to now out of that, what's the theology of work? And then eventually into how do we then bless the city in this way? We uh, just like logistically have this cohort group that meets for two hours every week. They're reading material right now in this theme of the biblical story of God's mission. Then they'll move into discerning their own calling and understanding of their calling within God's mission. <coughs> Excuse me. Then in winter, we'll move into a sense of Christianity and culture. How do we then carry that into the culture as Christians, reading different authors and different pieces, and carrying that into the culture then through our workplace with the theology of work piece. So our two-hour cohorts, the retreats that we do, they're very much focused on these, these first concentric circles of God's mission through your workplace. We then have six Saturday forums that we do. We did our first one in October that tell the story of Indianapolis. So mm -hmm. six Saturdays that are articulating who, what is the past, present, and future history in all its forms of this city. Wow. Because we are on mission with God through our workplace, but in the city, in to the bless city. the city, to seek the welfare and the prosperity of the city. I'll come back to those Saturdays here in a few moments. What, what I'm watching already, uh, you know, as we walked in, you asked me, how, how's it going in these first weeks? We are seven weeks in, eight weeks in, and my response to people when they ask, how has it been so far in this first experience, is quickly, it's exceeding my expectations and hopes. Mm -hmm. I knew that we were going to have a program that where we would be reading material that would link together, but I didn't know how strongly it would link together, mm -hmm. how uh, integrated the conversations would be. I knew that the, the material would have implications for them as fellows. I didn't know how quickly they would start to see those implications mm -hmm. and how they would start taking them in. Good. I knew that they would build a sense of community where they would start to feel some freedom to ask each other questions. I didn't quite expect that within basically two weeks we'd go from this is what I'm seeing about my own workplace to the following week, person to my right, gently asking in a good challenging way, person over to my left, well, can you look at your workplace in this way and what you're actually doing that maybe the actual product of what you're doing in your workplace might be something that could be developed to push back the forces of darkness and let the kingdom come more fully into your workplace. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect that to happen so fast. Mm -hmm. But that's the kind of conversations that are happening. Mm -hmm. we, we haven't arrived. None of us in the cohort have arrived in any way. But the conversations are quickly moving to these implications. How does what I'm reading actually change the way I view my work? So I have to interrupt yes. and ask this question because it, it really does kind of go back to some of your bio, and I wanted to just kind of recap that just quickly. In the first segment, David told us a little bit about his background. Part of the background uh, that David brings to this is that he was a high school teacher in a Christian setting, also a pastor for a number of years uh, in a church here in Indianapolis. Do you see now within this cohort the maturation level at a different level, and is that the reason why? Is it simply an issue of these people are more mature in every way than maybe the people I've worked with in the past? Or is this just kind of a special group? Uh, how would you see that now? I would, I would say two things. Uh, one is they 
they particularly hit on what's most important to us about fellow, which is that you're teachable, humble, and faithful. You you'll be committed. You'll, you'll do the reading. You come in with a teachable spirit, and you come in with a, a humble, even dependent posture, saying, I'm dependent to learn from other people in this context. It's, it's very much uh, an experience that I'm not trying to lead and be the teacher. I'm a facilitator of conversation. In fact, next year I won't be the facilitator. Our vision is to have fellows who then, as alums, come back and facilitate the next group of fellows. So truly, it's peer learning. Yeah. And uh, I'll be involved in visiting different cohorts and, and connecting with the fellows still. But it's not. There's we, we don't want an expertise model. That's not the goal. So that faithful, teachable, humble posture that they all walk in with is part one. Part two is that we're just having the conversation. So I would say that the issue is less about their unique, I mean, they're great people, but I've, I've had the privilege of working with a lot of unbelievable people in my, with my internships and residencies that I've led in the past in the church and just young adults that I've loved and, and taught back to high schoolers who, even high schoolers and junior hires who were great. Uh, so they fit in that stream with who they are. It's that we're actually having the conversation. I can say uh, with clarity and with accuracy, having worked in a church for 14 years, um, 11 of those years, I was responsible for a Thursday worship gathering with college and young adults, and I never preached a series on faith and work. Never preached a series in 11 years on faith and work. I was on the weekend preaching team for our church for 10 of the years I was on staff. Uh, I could maybe corrected by somebody. I cannot remember in the 14 years that I was there, let alone the 10 that I preached, and I was preaching in various series on the weekend. We never did a series on faith and work. Wow. Now, that is, uh, that's just not having the conversation. You're right. And churches don't have the conversation. So I, I'm sitting with pastors uh, of churches who we're seeking to partner with. So we very much want to be a parachurch ministry where we are a complement. What parachurch ministries are meant to be. They're meant to be a complement to the church. They're not meant to be competition to the church to help do what churches would like to do, but from resources or size or finances or other, they can't quite get that focused the way they'd like to. And I sat with a, a, a local pastor who has a heart for faith and work, has a vision for this being important, and wants this to be uh, in his congregation and in conversation, has been thinking about it for a long time, uh, planted the church that he leads a number of years ago, and uh, openly just said, I've never gotten to it to actually really preach about it and do anything specific with it, even though it's on my heart. I commend him because it's on his heart. And I empathize with him because when you're pastoring a congregation, you have so many things that come to you that you either, in your preaching, you either respond with felt need, this is what I sense the congregation needs, or you're preaching through a lectionary, which isn't going to give you a series on faith and work, or you're preaching expositionally through scripture, and the reality is, if you're preaching through a book of the Bible, you're never going to have a book that's just going to be on faith and work. It's just the nature of it. Even though it's laid in well within the Bible to right. preach about faith in the workplace, faith in your vocation in this way. So I'm glad you asked that question because it's such an important point. And I, I would say to our, our, our listeners, I, I, I'm ho I hope that I would be, uh, your experience would be different than what uh I'm saying here, and that your pastor has preached on faith and work, or at least on one sermon where you've heard uh, that a message that's told you your work is valuable to God because God worked pre-rebellion and fall of Genesis three. God worked. Yeah. 
And so for God, there is no separation really of ministry as followers of Jesus. It's all ministry as we align it with God's mission and purposes in the world. And these, this group of fellows, the reason I think the implication is coming is because it resonates as truth. Yes. And we're having the conversation. About six years ago, I did a series at my church uh, entitled Vocation is Ministry. So whatever it is. Yes, there it goes. It's been reached. (laughs) So this is really, you know, near and dear to me. And I'm absolutely four square right there with you. I think this is a powerful uh, implication for all of us. And, you know, quite frankly, it strikes me that we we have all of a discussion. Let's say you're in an evangelical church of some kind. And we have missionaries, you know, and we have them up on bulletin boards and, you know, we bring them in to speak and so on. I think every week we ought to have, you know, like a three-minute testimonial from the medical uh, community and from the education community and from the business community. And because everybody's a missionary in that sense. It's it's, it's ministry in that way. One experience we had in 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 one of our worship services at the church that I I, uh, do celebrate greatly is... Uh, I can't remember what we were working through from a preaching standpoint, but we ended up coming to the month of August, bringing all of our educators on stage and praying over them and commissioning them into their new year and commissioning them as ministers in this way. And since that time, I had talked to people who had been at the church for more than a decade who said that was the most meaningful experience in all my time of being at this church was being called on stage and being prayed over that my, that my pastors and my church staff we're seeing what I do as ministry, because I do it as ministry, but you prayed me into it, you commissioned me into it in that way. Uh, and then a few months later, we did the same thing with civic and government leaders, and I think it was yeah. in November. And it, it didn't gain the traction that, I, that some of us had hoped and to be able to do more, but it is that. It's like that, you know, that testimony of, of where am I seeing God to the workplace, but also helping people to recognize uh, it may include that through the workplace, a door was opened for you to share your faith with somebody and really talk about how um, how that person you wanted to see them come to know Jesus. It might include a story of working with somebody and saying and having them come to you out of the blue saying, hey, will you pray with me? And, and those are great stories. But it also should include my faith made me think about the product I'm making and how this product either contributes to the kingdom of God or actually is exploitive in some way of something in people that's actually a concern. So we got in a discussion in our cohort a couple weeks ago about Google mm-hmm. and Google's ability to read our emails where they then can choose, they, they can uh, take what you're writing about and they start popping up ads on your Gmail for the things that you read. I remember the first time I realized this, I hadn't been on Gmail, never had used it, we didn't need it. And finally got on Gmail a few years ago. And I'm like, I keep getting ads about like, sports stuff and basketball and uh, different things that I've been emailing with people about, like fantasy football, stuff like that. Like, huh? And someone alerted me to this, and I watched this even then, okay, what's, what's my wife writing about? What ads does she get? Okay, natural health, Young's Living, essential oils, I mean, whatever else, you know, these types of things, uh, organic foods, what she's writing about. And realizing this stuff. Okay, so as a follower of Jesus, the question becomes, is Google, is that product, the fact that you can do that, should you make that product Google? Are you being exploitive in some way by leveraging encouragement of being a, a consumer and 
preying on people, P-R-E-Y, preying, I-N-G, preying on people's uh, desire for more stuff and that, that we struggle with contentment as human beings. Paul Philippians clearly talking about contentment and needs. Is that good? Is that pro actual product exploitive of people or is it contributing to the kingdom of God? We didn't come up with an answer. The point wasn't to answer the question in that moment in our cohort. But that's the kind of conversations. If our work has intrinsic value, which it does in God's eyes, it's not just instrumental to our relationships with other people in the workplace. It's actually also thinking about how does what I make, how does what I do contribute to the reconciliation of all things of the kingdom of God? Right. Even though it's not going to be absolutely perfect in this life at this no. time. But are we asking the question? Are we asking the question? And then it would seem to me that you'd want to move from, and you probably already do because of the kinds of people you're working with, you move from the conversation to having a voice. And now your voice becomes louder in the culture where you say, hey, you know what, Google, you just took away an app from the Hong Kong protesters that allowed them to track the police movements. Mm. Okay. It seems pretty obvious to those of us in the West that there was an absolute function there that you're being controlled by the Chinese government. Right. right. And we could go on to the NBA here oh, and talk about it. Yeah, I'm sure you've had all kinds of issues here. And Shaq made his voice known last night and all kinds of things going on there. Uh, but within all of this, I'm, is it that, that you want the fellows to move from conversation to having a voice in the culture? Oh, that question. Uh, the phrase we use is take your next right step. So we we are not asking them to necessarily like change the world in a sense. Uh, what I what I don't want them to necessarily feel the, the pressure of or the uh, even the grandiose vision of is I've got to, for example, now go fight Google and change something about right, because how they're David or somebody else said this that. Ad, yeah. or, or even that I learned this. You might end up doing that one day. Mm -hmm. What's your next right step it, towards that end? So in the spring, they will do a professional development project where they will look at their workplace, their industry, and say, where is there a pain point or a challenge point that God cares about theologically and scripturally? And what might I try and do towards that end for the next three months during this fellowship? Now, that could turn into something more in the future, but that's that beginning point of having a voice, a very simple voice. Mm -hmm. Last night in our in the cohort that we had related to our reading, we got into this. We were in a conversation that's related to, to race, and I left them with a question for the week: Observe your workplace and industry, and using the clarification of the terms racism and racists as being different. Okay, where is there racism in your workplace and industry? Now that is a conversation that uh, I know that's a, a potentially um, a word that can spark a lot of response to it, uh, but the point of that conversation was to, related to our reading was to say, uh, we had come out of a conversation where two of my fellows who are in the IT field were just talking about how the IT field is so predominantly Caucasian white. Sure. And there's not a lot of ethnic diversity and racial diversity within their companies mm -hmm. or within the industry itself. And the question of racism is, is not a question of uh, naming that IT is racist. No, not at all. It's, is there just even implicit, uh, unconscious, unconscious, yeah. unconscious impact where this is a field that maybe going all the way back to education, which might go back to zip code, 
that this is a field that doesn't have a lot of diversity to it. And is there's and so I don't know if one of these two will end up with a project that goes towards challenging that. Again, the issue there is not necessarily, not necessarily to render a judgment. There may be a judgment to make. This is right, this is wrong, this is just or unjust. But can, are we thinking through the lens of the questions like this? Because clearly the reconciliation of all things includes the reconciliation of peoples to one another, and that we see the, the that integration within life all throughout, yeah. including the workplace. So these are the types of things we want them to, yes, have a voice in the culture, but their culture of where they work, where they live, and as that broadens for them, it broadens. One of the things that uh, I heard, I think, in the evening that we spent together a couple of months ago, as you launched the fellows uh, for Indianapolis, uh, was a story, as I recall, uh, from somebody who had done one of these projects and the, the story basically was about how they had uh, done something with uh, some kind of time off, as I recall. Yes, it had to do with uh, grieving and bereavement. Yes. Yeah, and so he had, so this comes from a story out of Denver, Colorado, and the and this program, yes. uh, program in Denver that we've connected to okay. learn from. And uh, they were, they, their leader was sharing the story with me about a young man in his project uh, over his three months. He out of his own story and out of his own situation, just learning of the challenges for bereavement when you go through grief in the workplace. I, I uh, believe you've had um, Liesl Murtis who's talked Murtis about handle yeah. of care and she's been with you. And really in this exact theme, mm -hmm. how do you deal with that in the workplace? His three month project, long story short, eventually led to the corporate office nationally changing their bereavement policy. Nice. He didn't necessarily intend that. He just wanted to take a step yep. towards this seems like there should be some other things related to bereavement in our company that maybe there could be different. Let me, I think God cares about that. Let me see what could be done different. Yeah. It ended up going farther, but his, and his voice contributed in that way beyond that he would have ever probably thought. One of the things I have PhD students do is uh, read the narrative of Frederick Douglass, and I ask them one question uh, I say to them, when you read this text and then you come to the question, what will your children say to you 20 years from now when uh, you say, they say to you, how come you didn't say anything about this? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I think is important for the Circle City Fellows, uh, any kind of group like this, is that you're or actually organized around this whole concept that we're really thinking about the future and we care about the place that we live and so on. That's really huge. And to that end, the, the place that we live, we, we are have created this story arc for our Saturdays where we think about this story of Indiana. Yeah, tell us quickly about those Saturdays. Yeah, so the first one, it, we did uh, learning, the, learning the history, past, present, future. Uh, we focused in on, uh, as a case study, transit. Of course, the red line is misleading for us here in India and a big deal in conversation. So we had a representative from Metropolitan Planning Organization as well as another woman who had been very involved in that and our moderator for the day uh, was involved 10 years ago with the development of the Red Line. We also had a historian, a uh, gentleman who's writing a, a book, uh, History of Indianapolis, based on the names of streets, streets, parks, and schools. And he's a, he uses maps to kind of tell the story of Indianapolis. So we had a great day just re reflecting on just different aspects of the story of Indy and learning and understanding, oh, this neighborhood on this side of town used to be connected as, as a thriving neighborhood to the railroad. When the railroad went away, nothing replaced 
the neighborhood to thrive so that the neighborhood still to this day, over 100 years later, struggles with its economic issues because it had nothing to replace what was providing that. Oh, the, the affluence of Indianapolis went north because the south side of the city was industrial and the stockyards and nobody was really living there and when people did come into money, they didn't go south because you wouldn't go down there because that's industrial and stockyard and that's working. So they moved north, and so hence when you look at Williams Creek and Meridian Kessler and these areas, why are they the way they are? Because that's how they were in the 1800s when the movement went north. And just this history, and it's understanding our, our place in Indianapolis, uh, Unigov with, with Mayor Luger uh, and eventual uh, Senator Luger, uh, and, and what that did for the city. We want them to know that story, that history. Here then in November, we'll look at diversity as key to perspective. How do we see this story in Indianapolis? How do we understand diversity within that? Uh, December will be on healthcare, comprehensive healthcare, February education, uh, March will be economic development, and then April will be focused on the great places. So the 2020-2021 bicentennial celebration of Indianapolis, 200-year celebration, focusing on these great places that are being, uh, the neighborhoods being uh, developed right now. Mm -hmm and looking at those. And our two questions for our fellows are what makes a thriving city? So in each of these Saturdays, what makes a thriving city? Well, we believe diversity and thinking diversely is key to a perspective of a thriving city. We believe understanding healthcare is gonna to contribute to a thriving city, education, and other things. And then second with that is what's your next right step to contribute to Indianapolis being a thriving city? That they would be mindful of how they contribute to their workplace, which is gonna bless the city, but also the city itself, what's your next right step? And it may be very intentional through the workplace, and might be something else as well. This has been a fantastic discussion with David Bell. We're going to archive all of this uh, on Facebook Live as well as on our podcast later on. Look for that. I'll push it out later on this evening. Thank you for all of you who have been uh, tuning in here today. I see all of these green lines on uh, Facebook Live. Uh, grateful for all of your listening. And for later on, when the podcast comes out, tell your friends and neighbors to talk about Circle City Fellows and David Bell. Thanks again, David, for being here Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And you've been listening to Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Group site. We come to you every Wednesday from 11 to 11.50. And next week, we have an unusual and special guest from New York City who will be joining us uh, through the airwaves. We'll be talking about the concept of Halloween next week. You won't want to miss that. Thank you so much for being with us here this week. We'll see you again next week.